Litcentric Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K-8. Book Taco is an affordable alternative to Accelerated Reader with an engaging, inclusive environment for the diverse students you serve. If you're looking for ways to reward your readers that will keep them learning, then Book Taco has solutions for you. I'll share some of them later on in the episode. Welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, I've been working hard over here at Litcentric, creating some resources for you that I think are going to be really useful, especially this time of year, whether you're teaching uh, virtually or in person. So the first resource that I'm actually especially proud of is um, an article that I wrote with my amazing friend, Nancy, and it was recently published in Literacy Today magazine. Now that's one of the magazines put out by International Literacy Association, so we're really proud of this accomplishment. And the article is called Planning Forward for Literacy. Now it's a guide to help you think about how to improve professional learning and literacy outcomes at your school using your colleagues' own language and the formative assessment process. We're really proud of the article. We think it has some really fresh ideas in it, and we're so excited to share it with you. And actually, the editor let us know that the International Literacy Association, or ILA as they call it, they actually made the issue of this magazine free for everybody. So normally they just have a couple of the articles, you know, they'll post for free and the rest are behind um, their membership wall. But this issue in particular of Literacy Today is free for everybody. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes. There's also a link at letcentric.com in a couple of different places. And we hope that you read it and enjoy it and helps you think a little bit differently about how you're planning forward for literacy. And please share it with your colleagues, share it online, share it with anyone you like, share the link for the entire uh, magazine because there's lots of great things in this issue. Now there's some other resources that are on their way that I'll be posting in the Litcentric store. Now, one of the resources that's been there for quite a while are my digital magnetic lowercase letters. Now they've been so popular and I've actually gotten a request to add uppercase letters too. Normally, I don't even purchase uppercase letters as a teacher. I think I have like one set, you know, because most of the time we just get away with the lowercase ones. But, you know, there are times when we need those uppercase ones too. So those are actually on their way. I should be posting those in uh, the Litcentric store uh, later this week. So if you go to litcentric.com and hit the shop tab, you'll be able to find that under reading resources as well as um, remote learning resources. Now, the digital magnetic letters, both the lowercase and uppercase, they're perfect for virtual instruction. You can use them for um, over Zoom and even center activities and Seesaw and programs like that, and even word word practice in Google Classroom. And uh, both sets actually come with the Spanish letters as well. Those are in addition. So you'll get the accent marks and the tildes and all the double letters and all those things. Also on its way is my collection of making and breaking words lessons. This is a resource I use all the time in my classroom and um, for intervention. And I'm finally gonna make it available to you. It's 37 different lessons. And um, what the product is a PDF lesson guide. So you just download the lesson guide, it's really simple. And uh, in it are, like I said, 37 lessons. They match the 37 common core phonemes that students really need in kindergarten, first and second grades. 
and actually even beyond. We know some of our kids in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, maybe they have some holes, you know, with some of the phonemes, they just don't have certain sounds under their belt. So these lessons are great for them in particular because uh, they're a lot of fun. They're really, you know, high engaging. They're low risk lessons. Kids can make mistakes and easily fix them. And there's nothing babyish about them. I know sometimes when kids see us doing word work activities, especially breaking out the magnetic letters, not a lot of fifth graders want to do that, right? So these lessons can easily be done with paper letters that are actually included with the guide. And they are, like I said, highly engaging for all age levels. Kids really, really enjoy them. Now, these lessons actually, um, the phonemes in them, they match the phonemes in my Sound Along Phonics program. But these particular lessons are actually in addition to those word work lessons in Sound Along Phonics. So if you already have Sound Along Phonics and you're you know, using that with your students and of course you see it working well, this would be a great addition to that program for extra practice or even for students to even use independently in centers because that's part of what's included in the lessons. These are really great for introducing um, particular phonemes and also for practicing them. Um, also, like I said, I use them a lot in intervention uh, programs with students because a lot of times the programs maybe we were using or some of the approaches and materials we were using, they didn't actually offer enough practice. So I needed to actually supplement with some lessons of my own. And so that's why I originally created some of these and they worked like gangbusters. They're great virtually and in person. And I'm so excited to be sharing those with you very, very soon. I'm hopefully They'll also be coming out later this week. That's my plan. So hopefully we'll get that uploaded. And if you're a LitCentric insider, um, that means that you are on my email list for LitCentric, then you will get first dibs of those materials as well as coupon code um, to purchase those materials at a discount. So if you want to become a LitCentric insider, make sure to go to litcentric.com. About halfway down on the homepage, if you scroll down, you'll see a big button there to become a LitCentric insider. Just click that button, submit your email, and uh, you'll be on the list for when those things come out. Now, I've been looking forward to sharing some lesson ideas with you for a while now, and one of them is in today's episode. We're gonna take a look at synonyms, really introducing the idea of synonyms to students with the text, the word collector. Now, I love the word collector because of the author's really playful and experimental nature, and it's one that he reveals really throughout all of his books. Now, the author and illustrator in this case is Peter H. Reynolds, and you may recognize that name because he's the author of The Dot, and also of Ish, which is another book that I love, and many, many other texts, actually. We actually featured The Dot in episode 10 of Eccentric Radio, so hopefully you can check that one out if you haven't tried that one yet for yourself or with your students. But Peter H. Reynolds really has a very, like I said, it's a very playful nature to his texts, but they're also very, um, really deeply meaningful and moving at the same time without feeling, you know, kind of heavy or needing a lot of interpretation. So he really strikes that balance really beautifully. And the word collector is a great text for introducing the idea of synonyms. Now, I do like to use it for really sharing that same playful spirit really with words with students too. It's not just about, you know, let's talk about the grammar of synonyms. That actually, it really isn't all that captivating, is it? But when you can explore um, words in a really playful, fun, experimental way like Peter H. Reynolds does as a model in his books, I love to approach it that way with students too because it, because it really lends word work into this kind of inquiry stance that we want students to take. Word work is not supposed to be rote memorization. It's really supposed to be experimental where students acquire 
um, you know, small skills and they apply them to new words and often apply them incorrectly, as we know with invented spelling. But that's one of the stages that students are going to pass through is learning when certain sounds come into play or certain words, you know, need to be used appropriately and maybe when they don't. And that all comes out through experimentation and inquiry. So Peter H. Reynolds, again, strikes that balance really well. So he's a great uh, author to use to explore some ideas like that, and especially ideas around creativity. So with the word collector, we're gonna be really trying to cultivate an appreciation for words. And ultimately, I, I want their literacy experience in my classroom really to be sprinkled with, with joy and with pleasure. And, and if we approach word work that way, that's something that we can definitely foster in our students. So let's take a look at today's text, the word collector. Now, Jerome is the main character, and he's a collector of words. And he writes down words that he hears and sees and reads, and any words that really jump out to him, he writes down on little slips of paper. And through his word collecting process, Jerome begins to really appreciate the meaning behind the words that he collects, and actually the power that those words can have. In the end, Jerome shares his collection to spread this power to others. And we're actually going to kind of use that as a jumping off point in our writing task today to actually kind of spread that love of words with students and help them think a little creatively about how that story might continue. With Book Taco, teachers and students can set reading goals and track their progress. And once those reading goals have been reached, teachers can reward students with some game time right in the Book Taco online platform. There are over 50 games to choose from, and teachers can turn them on or off depending on which games are right for their students or to release certain games when big reading milestones have been reached. Could be a great incentive for kids to keep striving towards achieving their reading goals. My favorite game is called Lights. It's an electrical engineering game where the player has to connect circuits to a power source and LEDs to make them light up. It's really easy to learn and there are four levels of play so students can learn how to play at an easy level before they transition to the harder ones. I haven't even tried those yet. The easy ones were definitely hard enough for me. Another game I like is just simple tic-tac-toe. The old schooler in me really likes those traditional strategy games. In this version though, you can play against another player or against the computer, which is great for individual players. The coolest part is that you can choose a standard 3x3 grid to play on, or you can play on a 5x5 grid and even a 7x7 grid. I haven't ventured up that high yet, but I'm looking forward to it. The games in Book Taco are quick to learn and quick to play, and they keep track of scores so students can continue to progress every time they log in. They're such a great reward for working hard and completing assignments, and they're nice brain breaks that are still full of learning opportunities. Log on to booktaco.com and learn about games and how the reward system works. That's booktaco.com. So to build our bridge chart with the word collector, we're gonna actually label our chart synonyms mean the same. So I do want students to know the word synonym and I want them to understand that it's when two words mean essentially the same thing. Now on this chart, uh, you actually have a lot of leeway here and the words that you choose to include on your chart. I'm going to give you an example of what I like to use, really mostly in the primary grades to introduce this idea to students. But I actually have used this exact same chart even in the upper grades in elementary school because so many of my students were using really basic vocabulary, especially in their writing, and I wanted to spice it up and kind of push them a little bit. 
um, to get a little better description out of them and get them to use some words maybe that they don't often use in their oral vocabulary so that we could expand that oral vocabulary and also expand their reading and writing vocabularies. To make this chart, I usually use four specific words to get us started. And these words actually just become categories for us to add additional words. Now you may choose to add all four categories at once. And I think a lot of kids can actually handle that. But if you have students maybe who are um, newcomers to English, newcomers to the United States, maybe um, you know have some specific uh, learning needs, or even if they're just very, very young students, you may choose to only do one or two words to get started and then add to it over time. Either way, even if you start with all four, I think it's a great model you can use anytime throughout the school year to really beef up vocabularies for students. And because you have total control of the words that you choose, you can really integrate this really beautifully, this chart in particular, with some of the uh, units that you're studying, maybe even some other literary language or things that you want to explore. There's lots of great ways to use this basic idea. So the words that I like to include on the chart, like I said, there's four, four different ones. We have big, little, good, and bad. So those words, I think, are actually in a lot of the oral vocabularies of our students. Even our English learners will often know those words before they'll know some of the synonyms for those words. And that's one of the reasons I like to start with those, because most of my students have never heard the word synonym before. So I need to start with a set of words that they already have a basis for in their oral language and in their comprehension, so that now we can build on this idea of other words that mean the same as those known words. You don't want to start your synonym conversation with a word a student doesn't know and then attach another word the student doesn't know to that, right? There's not enough schema building going on there. So starting with these words is actually a really easy way to go. Again, you don't have to start with these. You could actually select words right from the word collector text. He has lots of even more colorful words that he uses in there. Start there if you'd like to, or choose some words, you know, like I said, that go with like your science unit or your social studies curriculum or whatever you're using. As long as you can build some synonyms off of those and you think it's gonna be meaningful enough and words that are powerful enough to carry students forward even beyond this text or this activity. So I want these words to be really high leverage words. So words like big, right? That's a word my students would use a lot in their description, whether it's oral or in writing. And it's also a word, of course, they would come across in text that they need to know the meaning of. But if I can take what they already understand about that word and now add a slew of other words onto it that essentially mean the same thing, I've just ex exponentially exploded their vocabulary just with that study of that one word. So it's actually a really powerful thing to do. And again, very easy. So you're gonna select your words. Again, big, little, good, bad is what I like to start with. And I make those the headings across the top of the chart. And this chart doesn't have to be huge. And it doesn't have to be particularly fancy either. It's really just a list of words. But I do like to color code them because it's easier for kids to see, um, you know, if big is red, let's say, and little is green, well then that makes the distinction a little bit easier for students. So I'll start with one word. Let's say the word big. So we start with this word and I say, oh, boys and girls, anybody know what the word big means and see if, you know, what kind of you know, basic definitions um, that students will provide me. Now, something to be aware of that students will often do is you ask for a definition and instead of defining the word, they will give you an example of the word. So instead of saying, oh, big means a, something of a really large size, right? That might be a definition type of an answer. But instead, a student might say, oh, big, you know, like a giant is really big, 
or a tree can be really big, right? So that's an example. It's not a definition. So the definition is really the highest level of understanding of a word, whereas the example is the next highest level. So I always take the examples from students, and then if nobody provides me with a definition that I can build on, I will provide a really clear definition for them and add it to the chart. Okay, so be aware when your students are giving you examples and not definitions because you want to really up the ante and make sure the definition gets in there. So we have big, we define it together. I have a definition prepared, right, that I know is going to be clear to them. If a student gives me one that's slightly different, like I said, I'll just kind of modify it and we'll build off of that and put it on the chart. Then I ask students to think about words they already know that they can associate with the word big. Okay. And oftentimes, because big is an adjective, we're going to get other adjectives, right? We might get other things too, sometimes adverbs. Sometimes the students will give you a noun. Um, most of the time, I try to stick with the same you know, grammatical category, so adjectives to adjectives. Once in a while, you can make something work or kind of tweak it to add it to the list because I really want to try to validate whatever my students are providing me. If something's flat out wrong, we won't add it to the list, but I'll thank them for their contribution and show them um, or how they explain their thinking and also show them, you know, maybe the areas that they were doing it correctly, right? Like the path they were on was the right one, even if they missed the mark. Because I really want students to participate, right? I don't want to shut them down because they don't know a word. I want them to be playful and inquire about words. So we're going to approach it that way, even in our conversations about building this chart. Now, if you listen to Lit Centric Radio at all, you know that we talk about bridge charts in every episode. And if you're new to Litcentric, you may have not heard that term before, and that's because I invented that term. <laughs> it's not out there in the, in the literature yet, I will say yet, very strategically. Um, but a bridge chart is really um, a charting experience that we have with students to help bridge the divide between a text that they've engaged in, whether that's a book or a video or audio, any type of text, and bridge that understanding and bring that kind of collective meaning together through the charting experience with their peers and with the teacher, and then use that collective knowledge and that language experience to then apply it to a new situation, like a writing task or some other kind of project that they might do. So the chart itself is really important, but the most important part about it is that it's a charting experience that students engage in. And so the important thing to know is that let's say every year you bring out this chart idea and you do big, little, good, bad every single year. Well, if you're doing a charting experience correctly, like a bridge chart, if you're doing that correctly, your chart will look different every single time you engage with it. And that's because your students have different language needs, they have different background knowledge, and they will contribute different things to the chart every single year because you have a different group of students, right? So you shouldn't have a chart that looks the same every single time. That means you're doing the thinking and you're not eliciting enough thinking from the students. So it should be flexible every single year. You know where you're headed with the chart and you know the purpose behind it. And your job is to guide that. Your student's job is to fully participate and you wanna engage them highly and record everything really meaningful that meaningfully attaches to the chart that you're trying to build, okay? So here, Again, every year it looks a little different, but I create an example. If you download um, the Litcentric Radio lessons at litcentric.com in the shop tab, we have um, a collection of uh, reading writing lessons there for you. Every single episode has a lesson to go with it. And in that lesson, I actually have uh, an example of a chart that I've done with students. Again, that's just an example. When you build it with students, it's not going to look exactly the same, and it shouldn't. There's no reason why it needs to be uh, identical at all. 
So let's say we started with the word big, we defined it again with students, and then I asked them to give me synonyms. Give me words that also mean big, okay? So I'm reinforcing this idea of what a synonym is, and we're actually activating their prior knowledge because I don't exactly know what words they know, right? So I wanna see what they can give me. So students might say words like giant, or gigantic, or huge, or enormous, right? They may give me those words. Or I may get very little, right? I may get things like giant or huge, and that, that may be the end of the list, right? It just depends on who my students are. I also may get lots and lots of contributions from certain students who have bigger oral vocabularies, and I may get very few contributions for some of my students who don't have as deep a reservoir to draw from yet with their language. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm calling on students. If I have a group who I know are, let's say they're really strong readers already, and in conversations with them, they have very sophisticated academic language. They sound more like adults than they do children, right? We, we've all come across students like that. Well, sometimes I won't start by calling on those students because they're gonna easily drown out the students who maybe only have one or two words to contribute to our list. And I don't want one of the higher level students to actually steal the opportunity away for one of my more needy students to give us a word that might really be helpful to the chart. So I will strategically call on students who I know maybe have one word to contribute and see if I can get them to contribute that word because I really wanna build up their confidence and show that they can actively participate in this process, okay? My other students, I'm gonna call on them in the next 30 seconds. It's not like anyone's gonna know the difference, right? There's no reason why I, um, I'll exclude anyone from this conversation, but I will be strategic about who I start with just so I can see if I can get some more language out of them. So another thing I like to do actually to generate some of that language, once we build Let's say we build you know, four or five words on our list. I think we have four words so far under the word big. Well, like I said, sometimes I'll get that many, sometimes I won't, sometimes I'll get twice that many, just depends. But from there, I love to partner up students. We always partner up in class, or at least have um, sometimes multiple partners to work with to build our oral language and to share our thinking with one another, again, before it gets populated onto the chart. So that's part of the charting process that we're going through. So I may pair up a student with, with a deeper level of, or a greater level of academic vocabulary with one who is still learning English or one who maybe doesn't have as much academic vocabulary to draw from. Pair those students up, have them talk out a little bit more and see if they can build on some ideas with each other. Now, when they go to share, it's great, again, to call on the student you know has less academic vocabulary or background knowledge for this topic to see if they can articulate in any way part of the conversation that they had with the other student, right? And of course, we give credit to both students for their, for their contribution. But if I can get, again, more thinking going on between partners, more opportunities for students to talk and expand that vocabulary orally, that's gonna help us contribute to the charting experience, and that's gonna be easier for students to lift off those words off the chart and use them appropriately in a writing task or other tasks in the future. So that's what we're trying to do here. Once my students have built some of those words with me on the word big, we'll probably stop there. And then we'll actually add um, the next word, like the word little, and do the same process again for a few minutes. This really only takes you know five to 10 minutes to do per word. So it's not something you have to do all in one sitting. Like I said, you don't even have to do all four words if you don't want to, you can just start with one. Or maybe two, like big and little are, are um, opposites, right? They're antonyms. 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily talk about that in the same lesson because if I'm introducing synonyms, <laughs> I don't now want to throw in antonyms and confuse them about which words I'm using. Later, I can draw their attention to this idea of antonyms. But right now, I want to make sure that my students get enough experience generating some ideas based on their background knowledge, generating a list we can work from, okay? And then what we're going to do over time is keep coming back to this chart every single day, often multiple times a day. And the way that we do that is um, I encourage students to say, oh gosh, we came up with so many great words for big. Look at this giant, gigantic, huge, enormous. These are fabulous words. Now, what I want you to think about, if you see a word that you think means big when you're reading a book or you're listening to you know, a story or you're watching a video or you're talking with your mom or your dad or anybody you know, if you hear a word that you think means big, it's a synonym for big, I want you to get help writing down that word or copy down the word that you see and bring it to class so we can add it to our list. Okay, so I really want kids to start thinking about that. Now, the next day, I may have like one kid who does that, right? Oftentimes, one of the kids who like really gets it, right? That's great. Now I can capitalize on that kid, you know, coming up with this word. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. You came up with the word, um, you know, gargantuan, let's say, you know, obviously they got some help with that one. But oh, that's great. Where did you get that word from? How did you figure that out? Boy, let's put that on here. Oh, everyone say gargantuan, right? We're going to add it to the list. As soon as they see me make a big deal about the contribution of that student, the next day I'm gonna have three or four kids who bring in words. And the next day I'm gonna have you know eight or 10 kids who bring in words. So they're all gonna start, in, and oftentimes they'll bring in the same words. It doesn't matter, we can celebrate any word that comes in that's a synonym for big, right? Also, be prepared throughout the school day. If you're reading a story and you're thinking, um, or you come across a word that means the same as big, you've got a synonym there, even if you know it's on the chart, stop what you're doing and have students check with you. Oh my gosh, we found another synonym. Do we have it on the chart? Oh, we do. Oh, that's great. Wow, you know, gigantic is such a great synonym for big. Everybody say gigantic, right? And then go back to what you were working on. Um, if you don't have the word, add it. It's even more fun, right? So you're really trying to help students explore words, have fun with the words, and you're reinforcing the idea of synonyms and the meaning of big every single time that students engage with that charting experience and uh, with one another about that concept. And you would do this again over several days, probably like the whole week, I would encourage students to bring in the word big or bring in the word little. You could do, again, more than one. But if you do that, you're going to have kids who really interact with this chart multiple times a day. By the end of the week, they can easily locate a word that they want on that chart. They know what the synonym is for, right? They understand how to use it, and they'll start applying that in their oral language and also in their writing. Later, what I like to do, because if I want to keep adding to this chart, it's going to be kind of big and unwieldy, right? So what I like to do is eventually we retire some of the words off the chart or we start a new chart with some new words. We take the old chart and I will just handwrite or sometimes type up, but often I just handwrite each of those words like on a three by five card, you know, some kind of small card like that. Put a little hole punch hole in it and put them on a little binder ring so that it can hang up on the wall in our kind of writing area or near our word wall and label it as, oh, synonyms for big. 
right? Put it right on the wall, hang it right there. Sometimes people like to put these like in a binder or make a little chart. I like the word ring because I like students to be able to go and literally pick the word ring up off the wall, take it to their seat, flip through and really physically engage with the words to locate the one they want and then go put it back. And um, that's how my word walls work too. Kids actually get up, take the word, put it back. So they're physically interacting with those words all the time. And I get better use out of them. I get more accurate use and more accurate spelling that way. So any way you can make it more interactive, literally get students up using those resources, taking them back to their seat, I think is a win-win. And uh, it actually makes it for a lot of fun. And you can really reinforce and reward students when you see them going up and using one of those synonyms. It shows up in their writing and make a huge deal about it to them, make a huge deal about it to the class everyone will start clamoring to use those word rings and those synonyms. So it really becomes, again, a fun way to explore words. You're going to nail that vocabulary. <laughs> they're going to really, really know it really well. And they're going to use those resources in their writing, which ultimately makes them better writers as well. Now, the writing task I like to do building off this bridge chart is actually, remember at the end of the story of the word collector, Jerome releases all of his words kind of to the world. And they end up kind of floating down the valley below where all these little children are, are gathering them up and they're just as excited as he is about all these words. Well, what I like to ask students to do is imagine that they're one of those children who's eagerly gathering up those words and write a story kind of like the sequel to the word collector with this new character and what happens next after they collect those words. You know, which words do they collect? What do they do with them? Do they have a problem with them? You know, do they add to the words? Like what is kind of the basis of the next chapter of the story? So it's a narrative writing task, which we don't always do a ton of with those lit-centric radio because our students actually have a lot of experience with narratives and they often will write narratives on their own. So for writing tasks, I will often push them in other directions like, you know, description or, um, you know, informational or opinion argument or other kind of text types or genres. But in this case, I think the narrative makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a great way for students to actually engage with the chart again and use some of that newfound knowledge of synonyms um, to give us some better descriptions and continue the story. So that's all that we have for today's episode. I hope you run out and get a copy of The Word Collector. Remember, you can get a copy of any of the texts that we feature on Litcentric Radio if you go to litcentric.com and you click on the tab for the podcast, you can click on any season and in there that has um, a picture and description of the episode. And there's a link right there where you can go ahead and purchase the text for yourself. Also, don't forget on litcentric.com on the homepage to scroll about halfway down and click on that button to become Litcentric Insider so that you can get deals when my digital magnetic letters uh, drop in the store, as well as the Making of Breaking Words resources. Those are coming out very soon. Again, I'll have a coupon code specifically for Litcentric Insiders, so don't miss out on that opportunity. And please read and share my Literacy Today article. Remember, it's called Planning Forward for Literacy. The link is in the show notes, and again, it's in a couple of places on litcentric.com in the resources tab. Please share on social media and tag Litcentric, hashtag Litcentric. Let me know what you think of the article, what questions you have, other ideas that you can add to that conversation. I would love to hear about them. All right, we'll see you next time. Have a great day at school.